time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, the Extra Innings Podcast is back. Our first episode post-trade deadline, post-Yankee series, post uh 20-game gauntlet with uh, 13 games against the Astros and Yankees. It's Friday morning, August 12th. I'm here in Fort Worth, Texas, one of my favorite little cities on the planet. Larry Stone and I did a conversation on Thursday evening, and I got it all put together for today. Uh, so this podcast will feature that conversation. We just talk about you know the, the moves the Mariners made. Did they have... Uh, the prospects to get Juan Soto, you know, should they have gotten a bat, all that kind of stuff. We talk about the recent stretch of games, how they finished 10 and 10 in that 20 game streak or stretch. And then, um, you know, just a lot of little things here and there. We talk about Jesse Winker's defense, what they would do in the postseason and some other stuff. Also, I'm going to include in this podcast the audio from Jerry DePoto talking about the trade deadline stuff and, and what he did and didn't do. And then I'll also include some audio of Scott Service, Sam Haggerty, and Paul Seawald talking about um, winning the series against the Yankees at T-Mobile Park and what it means to them and all this stuff moving forward. So just a, a lot of different things that you guys can kind of uh, listen to and, and take into account. I, I thought uh, Paul was very passionate. I thought Sam was pretty good. Um, and Scott was all, service was actually pretty entertaining as well when he re- referenced Haggerty being the next Mickey Mantle, uh, jokingly, of course. So without me rambling on any longer, let's just get to all that audio and start the show. Drawings podcast has been ba- is back. Uh, it is late Thursday evening, and Larry Stone. Well, it's not late where you're at. Only it's only eight thirty or eight fifteen. What are you doing? Where are you at? What are you doing? I was watching the. Uh, I was watching the Little League uh, regional final between Bonnie Lake and uh, Bend, Oregon, with a crazy finish. Uh, I'm happy Bonnie Lake won, but the the umpires just completely botched the finish there. If you if you ever get to watch that. Then I watched the Field of Dreams game <laughs> with my son, which was kind of cool, even though there were two teams going nowhere. Uh, I think that's something that baseball really got right because visually it's spectacular to see that field in the cornfield. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched it, but it, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Is, do you, is it have a catch or play catch? Uh, well, I wrote a whole blog post on this back when I had a blog. Oh yeah, have a catch is the worst expression I've ever heard in my life. It's play catch. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah, uh, it, it's grind. It, it, it's like chalk on a fingernails on a chalkboard when I hear have a catch. But that thing with the Griffies was pretty cool too. Yeah, where they're open, they had uh, Ken Senior and Junior walk out of the cornfield and and have a catch. Uh, have a catch or play catch? I will. I will st- they know they said have a catch, which is from the movie, but uh, uh, that's the only. Well, there's a few other things in that movie I didn't like, but I really hated that. The fact that Shoeless Joe Jackson batted right-handed in the movie? That, that too. I didn't yeah, like. it might be a problem there. <laughs> you don't want to analyze that movie too deeply. You just rest, rest, in, rest in peace, Ray Liotta, but that yeah, was terrible. They did do a tribute to Ray Liotta with uh, Kevin Costner. 
Oh, that's good. Um, let's see here. Well, what did you do? I I had a flight from SeaTac to Dallas Fort Worth. KJ Wright was on my flight, the former Seahawks linebacker. Uh, Mike Blowers is on my flight as well. So mm. he didn't he didn't fly with the team. Him and his wife flew down early, so they go to dinner and do some stuff. So yeah, uh, exciting stuff. That's a long ass flight. Yeah, it's yeah. not that's not short. But now I'm in scenic Fort Worth, one of your favorite cities in America. It's an In and Out Burger, <laughs> and you know now we're gonna do this because. We have not done a podcast since before the trade deadline, you know, and we promised the good people we would do one. So we're going to do one and we're doing one. We did do one post. We did one post Castillo trade, but pre trade deadline. Yeah, that's right. We did, didn't we? I don't remember. We did. We did one. um, We did one right after Castillo, but that was a few days before the trade deadline. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Okay. I want to I want to clarify one thing. That that sounded like you were sarcastic when you said one of my favorite cities, Fort Worth. It really is one of my favorite. No, I know it is one of your favorite <laughs> yeah. cities. Yes, no. I, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Okay, so um, a little bit happened. Not much in terms of trades happened after the Castillo trade, but um, a little bit happened along the way. You know, they won a series from Yankees. Went two and two against the Angels. Um, so here we sit. It's Thursday. They open up uh, a road trip. I think it's nine games, um, three cities tomorrow. Where are we now as we watch these Mariners? Where are the Mariners at right now? As we, well, as they're in a they're in a great position. They really are. You know, you wrote about it very well today. They made it through this stretch of twenty games with a ten and ten record. In which, uh, how many of them were against the Yankees and Astros? 14, I think? 13. 13. 13, So, you know, as rough a stretch as they'll have all year. Most of it without Julio. Some of it without Ty France. Some of it without either of them. And Mm -hmm. still won back-to-back series against the Yankees, who have the best record in the league. And probably would be rated as the, along with the Astros, as the World Series favorite. And now they begin a stretch where their schedule gets super easy. They got these 11 games they're playing now are against the Rangers, Angels, A's, and Nationals. You know, they've, they've got to make make some hay with this stretch here. It's a real opportunity for them. I mean, they're sitting in the number two wild card spot, closing in on the, on the Blue Jays for number one, and they have a real chance to separate themselves with these games. The only tough games they have the rest of the year are a couple of series with the Indians, Excuse uh, me, the, the Guardians. Guardians yeah, yeah, I put a quarter in the the uh, jar. Uh, they still, I, I think they have two with the Padres and two with the Braves, uh, and and a couple of series with the White Sox, who are a mediocre team right now. They're five hundred. Uh, the rest, uh, the, the vast majority of their remaining games are against subpar teams. So it's set up for them. That doesn't mean they're going to do it, but it's set up very nicely with. Uh, with Julio coming off the DL tomorrow too, which will be huge. Yeah, um, I mean, ten and ten. If you think about it, they went ten and ten, and of those twenty games, Julio played in five. Yeah, actually four. And, yeah, five. I mean, he came out late in that game, so he played in five. Um, Ty France missed four of those games that Julio was out in. Um, Diego Castillo missed thirteen. Dylan Moore, while people may scoff, Dylan Moore missed. 10, that's still a valuable piece. I mean, you're you're running lineups with Kel, you, they, I mean, they they ran a lineup with three 
infielders in the outfield, I think, during that stretch. They had Julio, or they had Adam Frazier, Sam Haggerty, and, and Dylan Moore all in the outfield at once. So, yeah. you know, 10 and 10 is not a bad deal. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, and it took, I mean, it looked pretty dire there when they lost, uh, was it six or seven to the Astros and were facing a road series against the Yankees. But then they won that series after losing the first game. I went, I think the peak of Mariner fan panic uh, was the first loss to the Yankees after a bad series in Houston. That was the, that was the sky is falling moment. Then they came back and won the next two and then split with the angels and then won two out of three again with the Yankees. So uh, maybe, maybe they're off the ledge a little bit now, but uh, you know, all those things that you mentioned, uh, with the personnel and to come out 10 and 10 and still hold a playoff spot. Uh, I, I think, I think the Mariners have to be satisfied with that, but the thing is they've got to, they've got to take advantage now of these, these games, you know, they, they did the angels were a team. You'd think you would have won three out of four or swept and they split that series. So, you know, just because those games are perceived as easy, doesn't mean that they're going to be wins. And so, you know, but, but, you, you like your chances a lot more against these teams than, than against Houston and the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, it, Mariners Twitter was peak. Like you said, that, that stretch in Houston, we get to New York. Uh, I think I joke with Daniel Kramer. I was like, I think Mariners Twitter is more obnoxious when they're a winning team that starts, <laughs> you know, than when they're successful, than when they're terrible, at least to, terrible, they're familiar. And then it's only the diehards that are there watching the rest. Now it's a bunch of jump on the bandwagon 12s that are out there, you know, telling you what to think and, you know, asking about the salary cap and stuff. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, it is like Twitter, Twitter is, just the soul of freaking evil i i you know there are funny parts of it and it serves its purpose but good lord people are or i don't know if we can say this some people are just assholes on there they're <laughs> cruel they say things because they can they say things that they would never say to anybody's face they say things that they would never say in public under the anonymity and some of these people tweet a lot like i look and i'll go look yeah. like somebody says something on there i'm like I look at their timeline and I'm just like, good God, that's terrible. Yeah. You know, and then I feel a lot better about myself. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I'll get on, get off that ramp, but yeah, I mean, it looked dire in Houston and for whatever reason. And I mean, it's been on way for a while. They're just a bad matchup for the, the Mariners. And, and I'll be interested to see how Luis Castillo does against them. Robbie Ray, not a good matchup against them. I think they have something on him. I think he's tipping his pitches and I think they know it. Um, and those guys are masters at it. Um, I'm not accusing the Astros of cheating, though it would not surprise me if they were. Um, but like, yeah, it was. I mean, like, I I thought it kind of went how it was gonna go. I I knew it was gonna be difficult, and and I would never have believed that they would have went ten and ten with Julio missing that much time and time missing that much time. I certainly wouldn't have thinking. I certainly wouldn't have thought they would take two of three from the Yankees in Yankee stadium, you know, with those guys missing. Now the Yankees are missing some guys too. And the Yankees aren't playing very well, man. They played some stupid baseball in this last series, but it, you know, you, you take the win. You know, the one thing was, is that the Mariners banked wins going in. When you go 22 and three, you yeah. bank some wins. So you can, 
you can survive a stretch against the Astros like that. You know, you can survive it. You're not cratered. It, it isn't like the last month of last season where if you, they lost two games in a row, it really hurt them. You know, they, they banked enough wins to, to have some wiggle room. I, I mean, like, and if you think about it, you know, as I mentioned, those guys all being out and they didn't, you know, they had Luis Castillo for two of those games, two of those starts. And they had Mitch Hanniger for what, five, four of those games, three of those yeah. games. I mean, like, so now you're getting into the last month and I, you know, last, whatever, was it 40 games left? 50 games? 49, I think. 49. Um, you get in the stretch now and, and they're as close to full strength as we've seen them all season. You know, in terms of injuries and stuff and the best possible players they can they can put out there. This is as close as they've been, I think, since about early May. Yeah, that that's what has to give you hope. And uh, one thing that this last two weeks uh, emphasized to me is just how different they look without Julio Rodriguez. I mean, oh. the kid, he's 21 years old, but he is the leader of that team in, in, uh, in presence and in offense and in ability, they, they need him. I mean, it's probably unfair to put that kind of burden on him, but the lineup without Julio, it was really poor. Uh, and I think it led to everybody else trying to maybe press to, 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 to help compensate. And then everyone kind of went into a slump. I was looking today since the all-star break, they have the lowest, some of the lowest offensive numbers in the majors, uh, you know, their pitching saved them during this stretch. It certainly wasn't the offense, although they had some, some timely hitting, but they're, they're, they're particularly this last week they're since they got Castillo, uh, their pitching and their, their bullpen has been unbelievable in the, in these games, but they need Julio. He, everything changes when he's back. And now with Hanniger back, and like you said, the lineup finally looks kind of like what they envisioned. You have Haggerty who's come out of nowhere to be a presence. You know, you, you would have thought when you were drawing it up this year that uh, Kelnick would be, would be a force right now, but he's back in the minors and probably won't be back again this year. Uh, and Winker hasn't been what you hoped he would be, and neither has Frazier, but there's signs that both those guys are coming around. So I think you could reasonably hope that the, the offense is the, is the best it's been down the stretch, which is the right time to, to have that happen. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty crazy to be where they're at right now. And, you know, to be – so I'm going to grab the standings here. I was um, – Get on MLB.com to grab the standings. I got sidetracked because I have mm-hmm. ADD. Um, you missed my great points. All my great points. No, they're all great points. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, well, I was listening to you and trying to. Say, so they're 61 and 52. They're they're yeah. nine games above 500. They have one of the you know they have the fifth best record in in, in the American League, and I, I don't know what their record is. Probably since about June 15th, but it's got to be one of the best in baseball. Um, they they've done it. Without it, I mean, they've done this 61 and 52 with Jesse Winker largely being a zero contributor all season. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a two week stretch here or there. Um, Adam Frazier being uh, a below average hitter and fielder for probably May 1st to June, about June 20th. Um, Eugenio Suarez being absolutely up and down, hitting a few big hits. Julio being, you know, 
a lifesaver, France being pretty good. And then, like, you know, you got Cal Raleigh, but, like, you have so many guys that you thought were going to contribute this year. They just haven't. I mean, they bits and pieces here and there. But, like, I mean, collectively, it's still a it's still a below average offense in almost every way. And they're, they're here. I mean, that's the big thing is like, you know, they don't, there are no style points. You get the wins, how you get them. And, and then you take them and you go the hope I think for the Mariners is that now they're, they have Mitch back and Fraser seems to be figuring out that, that it's the lineup gets a little bit more productive and a little bit more consistent, I think is the biggest thing. It's just not very consistent lineup. You know, yeah. there are games. It's, it's funny. People talk about the run differential and it, yeah, it's great run differential that they have a positive run differential. They still have 27 one-run wins. It means they're not, you know, they're still skirting the edges. And the, the, what's helped their run differential is, is that they shut people out and they've won a couple big games. And it's it's yeah. pretty crazy. And another guy that we uh, didn't mention was Kyle Lewis, who gave them nothing as well. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, had, they had a lot of lineups there this last couple of weeks with – I mean, when you had Kalnick and Lewis in there together, they they were virtually non-entities. Uh, you know, Kalnick was two for 27 when he got sent down today. And Lewis, in his last 13 at-bats, was 0 for 13 with 10 strikeouts. So, you know, it's, it's like have, having two empty holes in your lineup when those two were playing together, which was, a you know, more than a few times. So, uh you know that that lineup of that outfield of the future of Lewis Kelnick and Rodriguez they're going to have to refigure that because it, you know I'm not giving up on Kelnick yet but you got to wonder what his future is and if they will if they will pencil him in in as part of that now and I think with Lewis as well with his knee issues but anyway that's that's a sidetrack um yeah they uh they it is kind of a miracle that they won with that with it, that offense that they've been throwing out there and I do think it's going to get better now with Julio back. They're averaging four point zero two runs per game. Uh, the league average is four point three runs per game. Here's the list of the teams that average fewer runs than the Mariners: the Royals, the Angels, the Marlins, the Nationals, the Pirates, the A's, and the Tigers. Those are the those are like the six or seven worst teams in all of baseball. And then yeah. there's the Mariners. Down yeah. There. I mean, let's yeah. see. You know, the what's crazy is the league average and batting average is so bad. Oh my God. League average yeah. and batting average is 243. The Mariners are above that, I think. No. No, they're below that. Yeah, they're below they're that. Like they're like 231. 231. Yeah. Um they're flirting with the league average and on base and slug, but yeah, they're batting average. You know, so well, the, we got to talk about the one-run wins. I mean, last, last year, it was, yeah, it was a big topic yesterday after they pulled out that game. Oh, my dogs are going crazy. Yeah. Uh, they're very uh, temperamental. Um, uh, after that one-run game, there were a lot of questions post-game post about how it is. I mean, it was supposed to be unsustainable last year when they led the league in one-run victories. And here they are. They're doing it again at an even greater pace once again lead the league in one run victories you got to think that it's more than a fluke when it happens for two years in a row and it's it's obviously a testament to bullpen that's how you win close games uh, it's also a testament to not having a great offense because you're not pulling away in games and i think it's also kind of a learned skill uh, that's i think paul seawald said that after the game yesterday that 
they they have a lot of experience now. They know how to win these games. And he you know he said the Yankees who blow people out may not have been as comfortable in one run games the last two days as the Mariners were because they've been in so many of them. Yeah, I mean, like there is something. There is some truth to that. I mean, like yeah, there, there's luck involved in all of this. There's luck. I mean, Matt Brash fields a ball behind his back, you know, and yeah. the Yankees run the bases like they're leaving a friggin' you know, a lower West side bar at 4 a.m., you know, but like, you, you, you know, you have experience. Yes, that. I do. I've done that before. Um, but you, you know, it, there is some luck, but it, at the same time as like, and I think that's the one thing is the Mariners do a really good job of not, they don't lose the game. Like they don't give away the game late. Like if it's a one run game, they execute in the field. They make all the defensive plays for the most part. I mean, they, they're pretty clean defensively. They don't do anything really stupid on the base path, you know, yeah. and, and their bullpen is pretty locked down. You know, they don't give up the big homer usually. It's it's like they're they're pretty clean in that way. It's It's not a difficult formula. You know, like if you consistently run the bases well and smart and you – you make your plays you're supposed to make more often than not, and your pitchers don't walk guys. I mean, that's that's a pretty simple formula for having success in close games. It's just a lot of teams still can't do it. I mean, like, you know, the Mariners do it because they're in every game late and this is how they play. And they're right. I, I don't they're I, I don't know. Should they be as confident as they are that they're always going to win? Perhaps not. Logic says they shouldn't be, but they do. And they have that confidence, I guess. And I guess if you believe you're really good, that counts for something, you know, and they, that's what they do. They just kind of play. And it it's, it is amazing that it's happening again. Like I didn't think it was going to happen again and it's happening again. And I, I'm just stunned by it, you know, and, and it's, it, but the pieces of change, you know, part of that was we said that their, the bullpen success was unsustainable and it, the pieces that made it good last year, are not the same pieces other than Paul Seawall. Casey Sadler's hurt. Drew Steckenrider's off reading QAnon things and in Tacoma. You know, you do have this Diego Castillo, who wasn't as great last year. But, like, now you're relying on Munoz. And Swanson, who was part of that team, but now he's had a higher leverage role. And Penn Murphy. So, like, the bullpen has been good, but it's a different – it's a whole different host of arms down there doing it and making it good. And and that's kind of allowed them too. They didn't rely on the same seven relievers last year to produce the same results. When we all know that that doesn't happen for bullpens. Yeah, and it's kind of a miracle. And you probably you know you have to give some credit to to Jerry Depoto for assembling the arms. And to me, the difference maker has been Munoz. Uh, he is an absolute force down there right now. I was looking at his numbers today. Uh, in his last since he gave up that walk off grand slam in Boston. He's been virtually unhittable over his last like 22 innings. He's struck out 44. He has an ERA of, I think, under one. Um, you know, he he's just overpowering people with that slider and that 100, 100 mile an hour fastball. And he's gaining confidence and all that. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that that can really be an impact player when you get to the postseason, when you have an arm like that who's, who's figuring things out and uh, – I mean, that's something they didn't even have last year as a guy, just a dominating uh, strikeout guy like that. And uh, to me, that's a huge factor in what the bullpen has developed into. Did you look those up or did you just read Jude's story? I haven't read Jude's story yet. I looked it up. Uh, 
I didn't know he even had a story. So I yeah, I don't know if it's it's been on there yet. I don't know if he's write a story on it, but you know, and even that grand slam he gave up in a uh, in Boston. Uh, Boston, that was there was some bad luck. There was like two bloops in there, something happened, or an infield hit. You know, like yeah. um, I just yeah, he's been outstanding, and I think the big thing too is is like um they found competent relievers to move into those lower level spots like Penn Murphy, you know, Matt Festa, those guys can pitch those innings, the bridge innings as Scott calls it. And same with Swanson. Swanson's been really good. But I mean, you know, you look at it too. The one thing about um Munoz is he's pretty split resistant. He doesn't, you know, he can get out lefties. You saw what he did to Otani with that's with the the slider and then just that combination. And it's funny like he throws the slider 65, almost 70% of the time. But, yeah. like, those guys are just so worried about 103 in his back pocket. Like, he just – they're still way out in front because they're just so, you know, like they're so keyed up for 103. Then when he throws that slider, you can just see how awkward the swings are on it. Yeah. Yeah. You just And you worry about uh, putting too much on his arm – you know, Scott says that they're they're going to pay attention to that. They did back off him uh, on the last road trip. I can't remember how many days in a row we pitched, but there were a couple of days there where he just wasn't available. It's it appeared, and yeah. so they'd be, they'd be smart not to overuse him to have him fresh for you know if they do get to the postseason or or September games that they need to win. But yeah, they're not they're not going to service said they're not going to run him three in a row. They ran him three out of they ran him three in a row. Yeah. One time, and they're not going to do that again. He was sore afterwards, and that scared the hell out of him. They, I think, they rested him four days. Yeah, and they don't want to have to do that again. So they're going to be a little mm-hmm. bit more. And you know, and they shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't do that. I mean, it's just stupid. Yeah, really? he's coming off a he's coming off a major arm injury. Did he yeah. have Tommy John? Right. Or, yeah, uh, Tommy John. So he's and he's going to you know push past a lot of markers in his career that you know he hasn't done in a while. So they have to monitor it. Um, yeah. No, it's. I think that's been the thing. Like they're really good in one run games because, like I said, they don't make mistakes. I mean that the 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 extra inning game, it wasn't pretty because they couldn't get a hit with runners in scoring position, and you know, you don't have Jake Lamb bunt because he's never actually bunted in a game in his career, and bunting is harder than you think. Um, and you know, just some plays were made, but the Yankees. I mean, it was just such an odd juxtaposition of like how not to win a game. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. like. And, and and really though the Mariners too like they held well the Yankees got out of an inning twice with a runner on second to start in only two plate appearances that happened twice yeah and yeah. the Mariners couldn't capitalize every time I thought that I thought you know if you, usually it seems I mean I'm sure it's just like that's just a narrative or uh, you know like a but what in a lot of these extra inning games it feel it seems like if 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 you're the visiting team. And you're held scoreless. Ninety nine percent of the time, it feels like the home team wins. And I know that's not true, but it, you know when the Mariners would hold those, would hold the Yankees scoreless for those innings, and then not score themselves, I keep thinking, well, that yeah. that's it. That was their chance to win it, and they didn't do it. That that's what I felt. And I mean, when you think that the Yankees had the runner on second and no outs in four consecutive innings and didn't score. That is that's staggering. But the Mariners did it three times until they finally did score. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. The the strategy when you're the home team and you and the team doesn't the visiting team doesn't score in the top of extra innings. I mean, to me, it calls for a bunt. 
because all you need then is a bunt and a fly and you win the game. But you're right. There's you know, Lamb hadn't ever bunted another inning. I think Santana was the leadoff hitter, and I, I could I I would imagine that Santana's barely bunted in his career. So it has to be the right guy. I mean, there's one time I think when Frazier was up, and I was very surprised they didn't bunt with Frazier. I think they were gonna let him. They were gonna let him see a pitch or something. He swung at. I think they would have made him bunt on the next pitch, but he swung yeah. and popped up on the first one. You know, it's crazy because of. Um, because of the universal DH, the Atlanta Braves have zero sack bunts this year. Wow. The Dodgers, the Dodgers have one. The Giants have one. The Cardinals have three. The Mariners, how many Mariners? Mariners have six. Yeah. I wonder how many of their sack bunts are in extra innings, too. I, I don't know. And then, um, like, um, the Diamondbacks, Angels, Mets all lead have the most. Diamondbacks have twenty, Angels have nineteen, Mets have sixteen. Yeah, two 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 uh very bad teams and one really good team. Yeah. I'm curious to do who's doing that sack button on the Mets. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's your uh, research project, definitely. Yeah, I guess. Um I don't think it's vocal back. No. no. <laughs> uh yeah, so like Let's go back to the trade deadline really quickly because um, a lot of people thought it was anticlimactic. Um, they were at hopes of a bat and get a bat. Um, were you surprised they didn't go get a bat bigger than Jake Lamb? Or I mean, Kirk Casale basically fit the the backup yeah. catcher thing. I mean, I know people wanted Christian Vasquez. And the Mariners preferred a guy that had caught Luis Castillo. Vasquez isn't the greatest defensive catcher. Casale's very good. He's caught Castillo. Castillo's familiar with him. I mean, and then one thing is, is like, they got all these arms down there. You got to have somebody who can catch. You know, you can't have somebody that can't catch velocity. Casale can catch it. I mean, that's why yeah. they got him. I mean, it was a it was a defensive move first, and it didn't cost you much. And I don't think they wanted to do anything that would stymie the development of Cal Raleigh, who they're very happy with. And, you know, Casale's a backup catcher. He knows he's a backup catcher. Yeah. I'm not sure. But someone like uh, Contreras or uh, Vasquez, but, you know, they probably would not as, have been as uh, accepting of that role. Um, but to answer your first question, I was a little surprised. Yeah, the, the way the offense was going at the time of the trade deadline, uh, I thought that they would go get a bat you know, maybe an outfielder, uh, a hap or somebody like that. But mm -hmm. um, uh, they didn't do it. Jerry made a calculated risk that they, that the guys they had coming back uh, would be enough. And, you know, you, um, you know, Lewis was a guy he mentioned. Lewis is back down in the minors, so that didn't happen. It's basically Haniger and I think, I can't remember if Julio was already on the DL IL at the time of the trade deadline, I don't think he was. So they didn't know they didn't anticipate they didn't know that 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 Rodriguez was going to be gone. So uh, you know, that's putting a lot of a lot of uh uh belief in Hanniger's return being enough to spark this team. Uh you know, I I'm sure he didn't want to dip too much more into the minor leagues, which already uh they gave up a lot of prospect uh capital in getting uh castillo but we'll we'll have to see how it turns out i think they probably f could use another bat right now so uh, we'll see if that was a wise decision 
Yeah, I mean, like Jerry was very. Um, I mean, I know you talked to him, and and I talked to him a little bit, you know, and just the sense I got from him was, um, like it wasn't going to be. They weren't just going to go get a guy for the sake of getting a guy, particularly a rental. I think they wanted a guy that had another year. They wanted positional fits. They wanted somebody that could actually handle playing defense a little bit. That's why I kind of thought Hap would be Hap would be the guy that fits them. And that, you know, he is um he's extremely good at left field. Um, um you know, he's outstanding left fielder. He's and he can play second base, he can play third base. Um, he's a switch hitter, which they love, and he has under he's under club control for next year as well. Uh, you know, I think they, I think from what it, from the little bits I've heard from different sources is, um, it, the ask was just a little unrealistic. Uh, the fact that they didn't trade either Hap or Contreras makes you believe, leads you to believe that they were asking for the moon for for that, and they ended up maybe overplaying their hand because Contreras is a free agent at the end of the year and he's still with the team. So they didn't get anything for him. And, you know, at least half they'll have for next year, if they don't trade him in the offseason. Uh, they'll trade him in the offseason, I guess. But yeah, I think you're right. I, from what it sounded like is that they, they thought they were going to get similar returns to what they got for Bryant and Rizzo and stuff like that. And they didn't, I mean, can, one of the big things, the knock on Contreras is he's just not a very good catcher. He doesn't really care about catching. He cares about offense. And that there was a concern that he couldn't, he wasn't going to be able to, you know, get used to a, a starting staff and be competent behind the dish enough in the short amount of time. And, you know, that's that's something that's an issue. So, um, I don't know what the deal was with Hap. I just think that the ask was a lot, and the Mariners were going to go there if they, you know, they felt like Mitch would coming back help them. You know, it is a little redundant. If Hap's best position is left field, you have a guy that, well, technically plays left field, um, but isn't really very good at it, um, that you're already committed to for next year as well. So I, I don't know, and I, I want to know kind of, and I'm I'm sure I'll try, but I think there was other stuff that they had. They were trying to put some peripheral pieces together, and and I do know that, the, you know, they there was a reason why the Phillies were scouting Marco that day. I think it was in New York yeah, because I – think they were trying to put together a three player or three team deal that maybe that's the deal that could have got him half or something else or the bat that they wanted. And they yeah. were going to include Marco in it. Cause you know, from what I've been told, like the decision to move a pitcher to the bullpen game down to Marco or a flex. And if you think about it, Marco's stuff doesn't really scream bullpen and flex, you know, they felt like flex's stuff would tick up a little bit. So they felt like he would be a better fit. Um, to yeah. go to the bullpen, um, you know, and then also, I, I think I told you this, but we were sitting there and one of the Yankees clubhouse attendants came and got Winker and pulled him off the field and Winker grabbed all his stuff and went into the clubhouse and we never saw him again. And he yeah. played that night. And so, but he wasn't in batting practice or any of that stuff. So I, I was, I was kind of curious about that and with that, you know, if they had something and that's why they pulled him. Yeah. And, that's very uh, mysterious. Um, the other question I had was for you is, I mean, I, I we went into that last day not knowing if the Mariners had a chance at Soto. Uh, do you feel that they ever had a legitimate shot at Juan Soto? 
No, I wrote about it. If you look at the way the package of the the Padres set up, those kids that they got are all big league ready. Like, you know, I mean, the Abrams kid and Gordon, I know he's hurt, but they're they're they they're on the big leagues, you know, they're right there. They're six years of club control, they're rookies, you know. Um the other kid, uh Hassel, I think he's a year away. And then James Wood is probably a year, two years away. James Wood is like a, he looks like Josh Bell, or yeah. some people say he's like a left-handed hitting Aaron Judge. He's a massive human being, six foot seven. We I saw him play an inner squad game before I got kicked off the field this year down at minor league camp. <laughs> um, you know, and then the you know, the pitcher, like the Mariners don't have the marquee aircraft carrier like you know, like Abram's top top seven or eight prospect. Gore was a top ten prospect. You know, those guys, th- th- those guys, and and they that James Wood guy was going to be top forty by the end of the year. The Mariners have nice prospects, but like I wrote, as you look at it, I mean, unless you put Kirby in that package, and you know, it's not going to, it's it isn't the same. And realistically, Jared. Jared Kelnick's value as a prospect is cratered. I mean, it's cratered. They yeah. shopped him all year, all since they've shopped him since they sent him down. You know, they're they had something like eleven scouts at AAA watching him play. They sat on him. I they sat on him for a week watching him because they knew they were in and out because they were trying to package these guys together. And I just don't think that that's what the teams wanted. They look at it and. You know, what's crazy is everybody loved him and now everybody sees the same faults. It's like, well, how come you didn't see it the first time? You know, yeah. and um, I, I just, it's, it's, they didn't have, they could have like went quantity and gave them like seven guys, but that's just stupid. You know, yeah. at that point, that's, at that point, it's just dumb. Like, I know he's, and I, I said he's a generational player or whatever, but seven or eight players just to get the one guy. And, and I guess, and I, I just don't think that that's what, if you're, the Nats and you're Mike Rizzo and, and you're trying and you know um is it the learners they're trying mm-hmm. to sell the team you know all of a sudden they make this deal for Soto and, and you know you throw in some of the other trades they made some guys coming up all of a sudden now you look they got about a group of like nine players that are all within a year or two or right now of being on the big league team I mean, you can sell that to a new ownership group. Say, so look at all this that we've done, plus this year's draft, plus, you know, we'll have next year's draft. You know, we'll have one more year. They'll, they have some better pieces around to, to make it more viable. But if you go and get a bunch of guys that are high A to low, I mean, that's just, there's just so many mistakes that can happen between from a high A prospect. Yes, Noelle Marte is a great prospect, but. He's he's twenty years old and he's not going to big league debut for probably two and a half three years. I mean, so much can happen from then, and so yeah. I, I just don't think the Mariners had that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, you look at the Padres now. You know, they get Bell and Soto and Drury on top of all the other big name guys they have, and yet they're they're the right now they're the number three wildcard team and they're a game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. Can you imagine if they don't make the playoffs? I think they, I think they ended up losing five of their first six games after they got Soto, they got swept by the Dodgers, the team they're trying to close the gap with and can't seem to beat. So, uh, you know, the, the Padres seem, they always make these flashy moves, but it has yet, I think we talked about this, you know, a good trivia question, the Padres, the Mariners have won a, 
playoff series more recently than the Padres have. <laughs> so, uh, in the Mariners, as, as we know, the Mariners haven't even been in the playoffs since 2001. So there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on them them now to win now that they they made this move. And when you look at the Mariners th- through all their prospect might into getting Castillo and after two starts, it looks like a pretty smart move. I mean, he's been uh, everything that they could have hoped for, and I think, and and more. That that game against the the second game against the Yankees was just a, a clinic. There, shutting him out for eight innings, he on three hits. He you know he showed that he could go deep into games. And the, the previous start, he would have had a nice, clean seven inning start, but he gave up a two run homer with in the, in the seventh inning, I think, with two outs which made it look a little worse, even though they had a handy, uh, pretty good lead at that point. So he's he's beat the Yankees twice, or the Mariners have beat the Yankees twice in his starts. Um, you, you, you couldn't, I don't think you could ask for more, and, and it gives you hope for what he can provide in the future. And if they get there in the postseason, he's the kind of guy that you'd love to have start game one of a short series, right? You know? Yeah, it's, it's, like that's the thing is like I, I just I guess when I looked at it from the market standpoint once they got I, I they had to get Castillo and I think we're we're seeing now that they it's just more pronounced you know it's just it just changes the whole look of your rotation when you run those guys out there and you know Logan hasn't been great and Rob Robbie looked pretty good the other day but like it's just a different feel you know it's it's just a there's a horse there's a couple of horses up front you know strikeout guys I mean like you know, you have dudes at the top of your rotation. Um, and, and, and I mean, I think it was more accessible. I mean, I, again, there, there wasn't a bat other than one Soto on the market that changes your team the way that Luis Castillo changes the Mariners team. You know, the starting pitcher, I mean, I asked the Astros, they went and got Verlander that year. He was the piece that put them over the top. You know? yeah. I mean, the, the, the starting pitcher can change it because again, it's about getting there. Once you get there, then that starting pitcher matters more. The the offense matters now a lot because you just got to withstand the day to day. But I didn't, you know, there just wasn't that bad out there. I mean, like Hap was a nice fit, but I didn't. The rest of it, like if if the the Red Sox had gotten serious, the Red Sox or the Giants had gotten serious about trading Jock Peterson and or JD Martinez or you know even. So Bogart. those guys, yeah, Bogarts or anything like that. Yeah, then yeah, then those are bats, you know. Those are bats you go try and get. But they they weren't serious about it. And it was gonna take a lot. And I just thought like, and Jerry just wasn't gonna go on somebody like Brandon Drury, who's a rental. He just doesn't want to do that. And then Drury, it's it's crazy. Drury hit a grand slam in his first at bat with the Padres. He's got like five hits. He's only been like 185, but he's got five hits and he's got a He's driven in ten runs, so I mean, like in in six and eight games, but yeah, uh, it's I I didn't think that like I people were just upset in the sense that like they didn't do much for a bat, but I didn't like other than Hap, I didn't really see like there was any great bat out there. I mean, I sat and tried like when I I said the next five targets they should look at in terms of a reliever and a uh, bat, like it was hard to find five bats that really fit because yeah. I couldn't go get a first baseman. I mean, like even JD JD Martinez, although like what you're getting in left field defense now isn't great. You don't want to put him out in left field. You just want him to hit. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, no, you're you're right. You're right. And 
you do you don't want to decimate your farm system even more than you already have uh you know in the 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 first trade with the reds and uh, for suarez and winker and this trade you've given up some good some top-notch prospects here you the most of your top rated ones i was looking at the uh, baseball america new top 30 for the mariners now and it's not nearly as impressive as it has been in the past uh, I think Matt Brash is now number one, but he's not going to be a prospect very much longer. No. Um, and then it's it, then it's Hancock and Ford. Uh, but you, you, you know, those are barely top hundred guys, if they are at all. And they used to, there was a time recently when they had quite a few top hundred prospects. So they're going to have to restock that prospect list, but um, that prospect bank. But I mean, right now their priority is is winning ending that playoff drought seeing how far they could go you you you, you could dream ahead on a rotation next year of castillo ray gilbert kirby and maybe maybe hancock uh you know maybe you trade marco in the offseason um so we, we, there's the makings of a of a high caliber rotation for a few years could you imagine like if if Jerry like traded Marco away, a guy that's like been here through all this and like been vocal and been the guy that's making when willing to like stick up for the team when everything's going wrong, and they trade them away right before they make the playoffs, that would oh. be pretty crazy. Oh, you mean at the trade deadline? Yeah, could you imagine oh, that? Yeah, that would. I think that <laughs> might have had the the Graveman effect times ten. I don't yeah. think he would. It, it seems to me that he was cognizant of that too. I really do think that Jerry, I don't know if there were deals he turned down because he didn't want to disrupt what they had going in the clubhouse, but he alluded to that in a couple of interviews I heard where he just basically didn't want to mess up the chemistry that they had. And I think, I think maybe he kind of learned a lesson from the impact of trading Graveman for Toro when they did and the, and maybe cost them the playoffs last year when you look at the the immediate seven or eight games right after that yeah i mean like i that's the thing um like if, if you know there was some talk that they were shopping cold and long the brewers were and if the mariners said okay yeah we'll we'll give up adam frazier and a prospect or two to get Colton long because you can get him for two more years yeah you do that in a second but it didn't sound like the brewers went down that road as far yeah. as you know they 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 looked at it and uh um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I guess to me, I just didn't see the, um, the, the real, the game changer bat out there that, that was going to put them over the top or that would have been that significant to, to warrant giving up something, you know? Yeah. And it, again, like we're seeing it now, you're running out of at bats for people and playing time for people. And that's fine. Like everybody's got to sacrifice a little bit for the better good, but like, you know, you're going and getting another bat. You would have had to dump a few guys as well. So I, I, I guess for me, it's like if you're gonna bring in a bat, it better be real. You know, especially a, a bat that's gonna play every day. It better be a legit, legit bat. Yeah. It isn't yeah. Brandon Dream. And I, like I think we mentioned in the last podcast, but it's fair for Jerry to be gun shy about bringing in a Cincinnati hitter that's having a breakout here. <laughs> I mean, honestly. I mean, yeah. Although Suarez is probably, to be honest, he's been better than I expected. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. 
All right. Keep going. Oh, uh, hang on. Um, Suarez has been better than I expected based on what he did last year. And, uh, you know, he's been fine. He's he's streaky. I, I loved it when he broke his bat over his over his leg the yeah. other day. <laughs> that was I, I always wonder what what happens if you don't do that right. You can like that could really be painful. Oh, maybe it bounces off and hit you in the head and turn you into Mickey Mantle. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Winker's obviously yeah been a disappointment, but you know, going back to the the Brewers and the Padres, yeah, the the Padres also got Josh Hader. Yeah, you know, talk about it, going for it at the trade deadline to add Bell, uh, Soto, Drury, and Hader. That's crazy. And the Brewers now are out of the playoffs. I mean, if I were a Brewer fan, I'd be like kind of scratching my head you trade away your all-star closer when you're in first place well i guess he told he told the brewers he didn't want to pitch multiple innings yeah and they also had a guy in devin williams who had been virtually unhittable uh for the last couple of months and who could slide into the closers job but oh. still that's the kind of thing that uh you know he's he may be the best reliever in the league and and you and you trade him that's that's gonna that's gonna have an uh negative effect on the clubhouse i, I think without question um well the fighting shockies have just been on a roll so that's kind of what's yeah know, um and i think the brewers will still make a bit of a run they're just kind of you know they have a couple they have like three decent pitchers and they just kind of rely on it what's crazy so we we're talking about you know the padres in right now as i'm looking at the standings now they have the third wild card spot they have a game lead over the over the brewers um but so that means, you know, the Padres, they would play – they could play – they'll play the, the Cardinals, you know? Yeah. They'll, they'll play the Cardinals in the first round. And if they were to get that um, – Or the Brewers. Just the, I mean, the Brewers, the Brewers yeah. Neck yeah. Yeah. Neck, yeah. yeah, they're neck and neck. So they play those teams. But what what's crazy is, is like, there was a – for a scenario there, for, there was a bit, I think it was um, um, where the – the Padres could play the Braves in the first yeah. round. Okay, they're the. No I mean, like the Braves could beat the Padres in a three-game series. Yeah, because the Braves pitching is better than the Padres pitching is, and the Braves are just as talented as the Padres are. Yeah, that's the thing. And as long as the I mean, the, the Dodgers, I think, I, I don't know, thirty and five or something like that over their last thirty-five games. As long as the Dodgers are as all powerful as they are, the the Padres are going to be an underdog to get to the World Series, and they certainly haven't shown that they could beat the uh, the Dodgers. And, yeah, you know they're going all in to to do that, and I don't know if that's gonna if that's gonna succeed. Look at the 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 Cardinals have the easiest schedule remaining of any team in the National League. They, Where do the uh, Mariners rank in the Mariners? the Mariners have the easiest schedule in all of baseball. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. 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 They have the easiest. I was just looking to see the Padres. They're about middle, middle. Um it's it's not any Milwaukee has a pretty tough schedule remaining. Yeah, the Mariners have the uh easiest schedule in all of baseball remaining. Yeah, not you just... know, they they went through the, the, all their tough road trips. They had that stretch early where they had what three East Coast trips in the first six weeks or something. Now they they their road schedule is pretty mild. They go to they go to uh, 
Thank God. They, do they go to Detroit? <laughs> yeah, Detroit, that's Cleveland, Detroit and, and Chicago, Cleveland. But, yeah, they go to Detroit, Cleveland. No, they don't go to Chicago. No, it's just Detroit and Cleveland. The rest Detroit of them and Cleveland. Are... And then, I mean, when you Kansas, get to September, yeah. after they play the Padres, it's, man, they end the season with three, four against the Angels, three against Oakland, three against Kansas City. Oh, their last 20 games are against the dregs of baseball. Yeah, Detroit for four, I think. Texas and Oakland, it's 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 set up so beautifully for them, and they finish at home. Look, if, if they if they, oh, I almost said the F word. If they f this up, yeah. this will be an epic choke yeah. job of I've, all time. I've said that to other people that yeah, uh, the uh, all the the frustration of this uh, playoff drought, if they if it's extended this year, it will be uh, magnified. Uh, you know, multifold. This will be the most frustrating of them all because it's there for the taking. It's not like last year where they were neck and neck and had to come from behind. I mean, they're it, it would be a case of them blowing flat out blowing it. Yeah. But you look at the you look at the uh, baseball prospectus playoff chances. It's approaching ninety percent. It's in the eighties. Uh, I haven't Fang, looked at Fangraphs is eighty eight percent. I believe. Yeah, I mean that's virtual lock. And if they, yes, yeah, they don't get that. Um, one other thing I wanted to, I think we should talk about is the rotation. Mm-hmm. With, the, you know, Castillo gave him six starters. Everyone was wondering what they were going to do. What did you make of the decision to move Flexen to the bullpen? And how do you think they're going to handle that? Is, are they still going to try and back down, back off a little bit on Gilbert and Kirby to keep them fresh? Or, or, or what do you think that's going to, how is that going to manifest itself? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agreed with the decision to move Flex down. I think part of it is, is they, like with Kirby, when he pitches, they want him to pitch. They want him to warm up everything the same. They don't want to do anything that puts any undue stress on him. Um, they want it planned out so he can prepare, you know, with um, with the, the way the schedule sets up. Um, and for once, I don't hate the schedule makers, but yeah. – um august and uh the first i think and part of september there's a lot of off days there's an off day almost every thursday in august and two you know a couple mondays and then so i'm counting one two three four five five off days in august we already got a couple of them um and one two three four four in september so, I mean, you know, that's that's big. Um, and I think you'll see Flexen go back into the rotation at some point down the stretch, maybe like in the very end. Like, let's say, you know, because like in that in October, October, the October 1st, you know, or whatever they actually the whatever they start that um, October 1st is part of that series with the A's. And then they have, they have to close out with four games and three days against the Tigers. Ostensibly they will have locked up a postseason spot, but the problem is they could be playing for a, you know, the, the first spot or the second spot. So they could go down to the end. That's where you're going to need flexing right there. Yeah. You know, you're going to need him right there. And honestly, like it would, it sounds crazy, but like the, that's a time too where somebody like Emerson Hancock who could come up, who's pitched a while, maybe he's pitching well, comes up and makes a spot start, gives them a breather. You know, you send them back down. There's no great shakes. 
Um, because you're not gonna use them in the postseason, but you can, you know, um oh, the winter season Taylor, Taylor, yeah, Taylor Dollard. I Dollard. mean something like that. You know, something like that, you have that opportunity. Um, when does the minor league season end though? I mean, it used to end like in early September. No, it runs all the way through now. Okay. Ask Curto. I think he's still complaining about it. Um, so that yeah, th- there's a way that they're gonna I think they're gonna end up using all six at some point. But for now, Flex will pitch out of the bullpen. And, you know, my guess is that on a day where Kirby or Gilbert starts, if they feel like they're stressed early, they'll bring him in and he'll go three or four, you know, and that's what they're going to have to do. You know, they they just have to – and honestly, they just have to piece it together until September 1st. Because by September 1st, I think that's when they're shooting for Matt Boyd to be ready. And then you'll have a guy, a lefty, that's stretched out to two or three innings, you know, with high-powered stuff. Then you have Flex. You have that extra one. They haven't said whether they get two pitchers or not. I think they would prefer to have two pitchers, or maybe they told Kyle Lewis, hey, look, show us something. You'll be back on September 1st when the rosters expand because you get two more spots. But, um, and I mean, honestly, Kyle Lewis, if he is hitting well and you get him back and you have that extra roster spot, that's a nice piece to have because, you know, Carlos Santana does not hit left-handed pitching very well as a right-handed hitter it hasn't been good this year or lately he's much better left-handed so you know you use kyle in that dh spot that day you know you have some different opportunities there but i i would do it that way i think marco isn't a fit out of the bullpen what he does and how he does it that's not a fit i mean although tommy malone is kind of the same way but you know marco's been around i think flex they're hoping that flex and his stuff ticks up he gets a little bit more crisp and he's just so versatile, you know, and he's such a competitor. He doesn't care, you know. So I think it, it was just easier for him to do that way. Um, yeah, uh, they don't have a lefty in the bullpen right now with Baruki's injury. Yeah. Um, until um, Boyd, Til is, Boyd ready. is ready. I mean, yeah, because Bernardino – and, I mean, like, they can DFA him pretty easily. Um, you know, I think they can piece it together. I'm trying to think who they really need a lefty for. I mean, you'd like to have one against the Angels for Walsh Otani, but I mean, yeah. otherwise. With a new rule about having to face the three batters, it kind of lessens the impact of the, the loogie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, Gilbert, it, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to, to back Gilbert off for a starter to right? You know, yeah. His last four starts have been against Astros, Astros, Yankees, Yankees. So it's probably not fair to 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 look too deeply into you know what have been not his best games. And mm-hmm. Scott still likes his stuff and everything, but he's reaching uncharted territory as far as innings. And if you want him fresh for the postseason and and September and everything, I I mean I I could see the value in backing him on back off for for a start or or slow playing him a little bit. Well, according to Scott, when I asked him about it, that Logan isn't tired and he is about, I'm like, he says, well, because I said, and I preface the question, I know this, the velocity is the same. Yeah. The spin rate's the same. Everything's the same, but the command isn't the same. You know what? You can still have great stuff. You know, you can be fit, fatigued and still have velocity and you still have, spin rate and the stuff on it but if you can't command it that speaks to some level of either mental mental or physical fatigue and i think they would be wise to you know definitely look to 
make sure he gets the extra day or, you know, short start him once if they can or something like that. Like they need to, you know, he is in new territory. And, and I think, you know, for all the reasons they're doing it with Kirby, yeah, you need to do it with Logan because he's an investment, not just in this year, but years ahead. And that, that's the luxury you have with six starters now, too, is you don't have to. It's not like you have to call up somebody from Tacoma to make an emergency start or do a bullpen game. You, you've got flexing. Yeah. To do just that. Um, What would you do with, and I know he's dinged up a little bit, but that's not, he's not a good defensive player. What would you, would you try and find ways to, dh winker as much as possible yeah he's, he's a i mean the the numbers on him defensively are abysmal yeah i mean you don't even need the numbers you just need to watch <laughs> yeah you were talking earlier about how the reason they're winning one run games is because they don't make defensive mistakes well the one one run game they lost and yeah. in memory was that game against the angels where that run scored in the, I think it was the first inning because Winker took this terrible route to a ball and uh, Ren Gif, how's his name? Ren Gifo. Ren Gifo ended up, he was, he, he was, he had stopped at first base and then he saw where Winker was and he turned it on and got to second and scored. And that run was, ended up being the difference between the Mariners winning or tying and then they lost the next inning. So, um, and then you've got Haggerty, who is pretty much earning regular playing time, everyday playing time by the way he plays, and he's a much better defensive outfielder. Uh, so I think you've you've got to consider having Winker DH, and you know you, Haniger's going to have to. He said Haniger's going to play two out of every three games in the field, and DH the third game, and then you got Santana and and, and France. So you, you know there's some maneuvering that has to be done there, but. Uh, at this stage of the season, your your optimal defensive roster or lineup does not have Winker. Yeah, so I'm looking at defensive WAR or the defensive metric on Fangraphs. Um, Jesse Winker is rated as the worst defensive outfielder of any player that's played left field this season. Wow. And people regard, you know, the Mariners like to think of themselves as the best defensive team in baseball or one of the best. And that sort of uh, flies in the face of that when you have the worst, the single worst left fielder. I mean, they're strong defensively at most positions. He has, he's minus 10 defensive run save. He is negative 6.2 UZR 150. He's minus 9.4. I mean, Jack Peterson's terrible defensively too, but not that bad. And the thing is, is like and people say, like, oh, he must be hurt. No, he just one thing was was you when you play left field at Great American Ballpark, anything behind you is gone. You know, right. it's just gone. I mean, and he was uh, in Cincinnati last year, he was nine minus nine point three defensively last season. Yeah. And war. And uh let's see here. What's Haggerty's defensive numbers? I mean, it's much smaller sample size. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. You know, I don't think I don't think he has enough to to really ba- measure the metrics on it. But have you ever sat there and said he really screwed up a play when he's out there? Uh, yeah, I think just once. Yeah, and that was the right field where he didn't. He just had a mental break and he didn't yeah. throw to the cutoff man. I mean, that wasn't a 
Right. That's true. You know, that was just a, a brain fart of sorts. Oh, I'm checking here. Yeah, Wink, let me go to his defense. Winker had minus 10.3 fangraphs defense last year, which is just not what you want. Um, you know, they knew that coming in. Oh, no, they knew completely. We talked about that the day he was traded Yeah, uh, here. Yeah, he was he was minus five defensive run saves last year, minus 3.6 de- defense. Jeez, one year in 2018, he was minus 27.3 UZR. The thing is, you can live with that when you're hitting. But Winker, I mean, he came with came here with a nine. He had a nine forty nine OPS last year. That's elite. It's down more than it's down almost two hundred and fifty points this year to seven eleven. So he has not compensated for that defense with the offense that they were expecting. That they would, I'm sure Jerry thought, well, we could live with the defense because he's giving us an elite slugger. Particularly against right-handed hitting, right-handed pitching, and it just hasn't happened. You know, he's he's hitting better, and he's he's leads the league in walks, so he's his on-base percentage is very good. But he's slugging three sixty-three after slugging five fifty-six last year. That's down almost two hundred points. That's no ballpark factor, probably a lot, but he's not been nearly the hitter they they thought they were getting. Yeah, of um. Of qualified left fielders and, um, you know, for minimum qualified at bats, that appearances, Winker has a z- 0.6 war, which is he's gotten out of the negative. He was negative war earlier. Um, and only Tony, or yeah, so only Tony Kemp, Connor Joe, and Marcelo Ozuna are worse than him right now in overall yeah, war. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's negative. He's zero point eight WAR offense. Yeah, that's yep. just, that's pretty yeah. crazy. I mean, he was only two point seven WAR last year with those offensive numbers, so that shows that his defense yeah. really hurt him. I mean, like, you know, I, I like that he walks. I like that he has good at bats, but he didn't trade for a guy that walks. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like his rates are essentially the same as Jake. Fraley in a lot of yeah. ways. He's got 14 doubles. He's got 25 extra base hits yeah. at this stage of the season. You would have thought double that That's for sure at this point. Just yeah. Not, not much pop at all. Well, Fraley's been hurt a lot. So, but yeah, I watched him today in the uh, Field of Dreams game. Yeah. You know, Dunn made a start too the other day. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't pitch so well. But... Yeah. I don't know though. I mean, like, Okay, so let's say, for um, you know, transparency's sake, Larry and I have well, I have already, I haven't sent Larry in my hotels. I've already booked hotels for every potential wild card spot, just because I'm that um, psychotic about travel and staying where I want to stay. So let's say if the season ended tomorrow, um, the Mariners would be playing Toronto. Or, yeah, they'd be playing Toronto in Toronto. We don't know if Robbie Ray would be able to go or not. That's bridge yeah, I got across. It could be a hot uh, topic. Yeah, in the, yeah, in the yeah. I got a and actually, I, I got to contact somebody from MLB to know what the drop dead date is on that for him to be eligible. To you know, I don't even know. Um, so they would play Toronto. Toronto would roll out Galsman. Um. Kikuchi. 
<laughs> no, they're not rolling out Kikuchi. Gossman, man, I mean, think about that. It's going to be Gossman, Manoa, and Barrios. Barrios. It's been a bad year, by the way. Yeah, but I mean, still. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I I guess that's who they – I mean, would they? is there somebody else they would go with instead of Barrios? Yeah. Well, a lot depends on how you have to end the season. You know, if you if you need your stud to win that last game to clinch that spot, it's different than if you could set – the rotation you know you can't assume that someone like castillo is going to be your number your your game one starter because you might need him to clinch that's why it'd be so to the mariners benefit to to uh take advantage of the schedule and clinch early and set up the rotation the way you want it to okay so let's say that both team both teams clinch it early enough so it'd probably be gossman castillo castillo manoa ray yeah and then um Barrios, I think still think it would be Barrios over Barrios. Mitch White. Barrios Gilbert. Gilbert, yeah. Yeah. And so so like in that first game, it's all righties. So that's one thing. So what would your lineup be? <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this right. I can't believe we're even having this conversation. This is the most absurd thing we've ever done on this podcast because it's never I mean, even last year we didn't have this conversation. No. This is well, just so idiotic, but it's I feel like I'm softy in your dick fame. And that's an insult to you, probably. Well, first of all, I'm going to predict that you're going to get rafts of grief for admitting that you booked the postseason, that you've jinxed it. I do. I've done it every year, though. Yeah, I know. Every. I mean, I guarantee you that the traveling secretaries for every team in uh, that's in contention has has worked on hotels so you just you can't wait till the end and say oh okay i guess i'm gonna go to toronto now is there any hotels available yeah so um so wipe that out well let me think here julio france julio france hanniger uh boy so but my this is my question where does jesse winker fit you're gonna yeah. want to hit him because they're right-handed pitchers. Yeah. Though I think he's actually hitting lefties better this year. Yeah. But like, do you do you want to play Sam or Dylan in yeah. left field? Or I mean, they also like right now, you know. Or do you play Jake Lamb out there even? Right. Because you 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 got him to hit against right-handed bats pitchers. Yeah. Um. Well, he's got to start hitting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Let's say, so okay. Um, but and where so do Santana's, you? How Santana's splits? There, he's not hitting left-handed very well, is he? Uh, no, he's not hitting right-handed very well. I don't think. Okay, he wasn't hitting much of anything very well for a no, bit there, but no. But like that's um, the thing is like so do you do you just because that's a, you know you're talking about turf outfield, you know, and with the weird bounces and stuff like that. Do you? Yeah. My guess is like you're gonna play all three of them at some point or another, but I'm like, yeah. Huh. I was just I thinking know. about that because somebody else was talking about like where do would you do you sacrifice defense in a postseason game where like runs are scarce anyways? For I would not. I, I would maximize my defense, and because it's not like Winker has been uh, that good offensively. That good offensively. It's not like you're losing this major bat unless he gets you know, on fire in September, maybe that, that changes the equation. Uh, but right now, ha- Haggerty's bat is better than Winker's bat. Yeah. And his glove is better than Winker's glove. This uh, is, I'm looking at Winker's splits right now. Remember how we talked about, like, because he'd never really hit again. He'd been a 
he'd been kind of a platoon type of guy. Yeah. He and granted the samples are so different because he's getting 261 PAs versus right handers. He's got a 179, 295, 354 slash. Against right handers. Yeah. You know, all of he's got nine doubles, ten homers against right handers, but it's, you know, it's 261 PAs and 87 plate appearances against lefties. He has a 265, 414, but only a 368 slug. Well, I'm looking at his numbers last year. He was th- against right-handers. He was 346, 428, 642 for a 1.070 OPS. And against left-handers, he was 177, 284. So he's reversed it. I mean, the Mariners thought they were getting this lethal bat against right-handers. The best He was the best in the league last year against right-handers. And that I don't know where that <laughs> went. I don't know. So I, that's what I'm saying is, like, I guess I don't know, like, it you're in that position. Do you take, Oh no, I'm sorry. I was looking at Santana splits, not Winker splits this year. Okay. But yeah. So Santana is hitting uh, with more power against, against uh, batting lefty and not, he is decent average, but not, you know, pretty small sample size. I'm sorry. I'll look at Winkers. I got, sorry. I got that all messed up. Well, yeah. Right. Um, you know, Winker, I know he's hitting better against lefties than he is righties. Cause somebody pointed that out to me the other day. Well, I, I got it up right now. He's against right-handers. He's 217, 341, 323 for 664. And against left-handers, 260, 366, 469 for 835. So he's he's much he's 150 points higher or more against lefties, which is crazy. Yeah. And his home runs are almost even. Six yeah. against righties, five against lefties. So he has that's kind of disturbing on some level, don't you think? Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, yeah. But so you yeah. would go defense? I would, and maybe put him as a DH. Yeah, I mean, you could take take your guesses leading into that week who's swinging it better, or maybe you look at you know who who has got more at bats out of Gosman or something like that. Yeah. Because yeah. the rest of it is all. I mean, the rest of your lineup is pretty much set. You know, you're going to go JP at short. Probably Frazier at second, um, Cal yeah, catcher, right. yeah, hanger right. I mean, like the rest of it's all easy. Yeah. The question is who's going to play left? Yeah. I think at this point, who's going to DH? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you, yeah. You know, you, I was Santana's a good bat to have off the bench because he's a switch hitter and, yeah. Uh, you could, you could, you know, I mean, you could always, I guess, you could always put, um, Haggerty in as a defensive replacement late in the game too, if it's close. Yeah, and it, Haggerty is such a good weapon to have too as a pinch runner. But at the same time, like, I, like he just makes stuff happen. Like the Mickey Mantle line was great from mm-hmm. from yeah. uh, from service. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't know if it's sustainable. But ride the wave until you know. Yeah. Do you think there's a role for for Taylor Trammell the rest of this season? Uh, well, if he hits righties, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, I don't know what the rest of the, the one thing is, is like the problem with Kyle Lewis isn't that, like, I think Kyle Lewis will eventually hit. I don't know what kind of hitter he is. He's been really outstanding for like about a month and a half of one season and about two weeks of his first season um, and then hurt the rest of the time. But he, can only play one position. Yeah. 
Because if you play him in the field, he can't play for like two or three days. Right. He's a so, yeah. And the Mariners don't have a full-time DH, at least not right now. And I thought Service made a good point. It's like, these games matter right now. And so, um, you know, they can't – they have to um, – they have to play the guys that, that can help them. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious about this. Like, it, it's – and like I said, it's so goofy that we're having the conversation, but it was just some of the debates I was having with my friends. Um, you know, uh, well, who would you play? You know, who would you play? Yeah. Would you play him here? You know, you get in a, a big series, you know, I mean, even down the stretch, like let's say that you're in a dogfight to stay in that, you know, and who do you play? Who gets to play? You have to yeah. just, you have to rule out, who's getting paid what or who's done this for you. you have to go with who's ever helping you win that day. Don't you, you can't say, Oh, he's got track record. He's going to help us. Eventually you're not at the eventually point. Well, here's, here's a hypothetical for you. Let's say you go into game 162 and you're still alive for the first wild card, but you're in the playoffs. You already clinched yeah. a playoff spot. You pitch Castillo. You, that day? you pitch Castillo to, to get that win or do you save him for the playoff opener? And even if that means that maybe you have to go on the road, I think I saved Castillo because if you pitch him in game 162, you don't get him at all mm-hmm. in a three game series mm-hmm. that starts the, that starts two days later. No, no, you do not. Yeah. No, no you do not. Um, but man, no playoff games. What if you lose the playoff series, the wildcard series yeah. on the road? That means you've made the playoffs for your fans that really get to enjoy it. Yeah, well, at least you got best of three this time. Yeah. Where in past years you face that scenario, loser out. So you have, a, I think, you have a better shot at it in a in a best of three. But well, we'd have to stop writing in all our stories the playoff drought, playoff drought, playoff drought. But we would instead we'd write the Mariners who have not played a home playoff game in twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it would be nice to get some games at home to get that first wild card. And they're only what? I think they're a game out right now. Yeah, Toronto. I think so. Toronto was super red hot there after they fired the manager, but they've they got handled by uh, Baltimore. I think they lost the series. Baltimore's just crazy. I don't know how they're doing it after trading uh Mancini and their closer, but uh I mean Rutschman has been tremendous. And they just seem to have this, this magic, this pixie dust, as as Matt Calkins said today. I know you're thinking about rightness, um, but it, it is. I mean, I I talk with some scouts about it, but so you know, we've talked about it before. It's just it's like the idea that you can, if you can, set it up to roll out Castillo, Robbie Ray, and Gilbert in a row. With George Kirby mm-hmm. as your fourth, yeah. I mean, you went say you win the the, especially if you can win the the uh, the wild card series in two. Yeah, I mean, like then you get into the d- division series in a five game series, and you have those three guys. You know, and you got Kirby that you could deploy as the you know this wild card. Yeah, if a guy gets in trouble. Yeah, uh, if you look at the if you look at the postseason recently, starters are getting pulled in the second and third inning yeah, all the they time. Don't have it. They don't wait around. 
it's no and the guy like kirby and and then in marco and flexen too and then you've got if you've got a lead they've got the kind of bullpen that can hold leads you know from the sixth inning on you could throw you know you can go swanson uh castillo or swanson muñoz castillo seawald that that's kind of the formula that the, I, mean, I am going to write about this but the royals used in 14 15 got to the world series and then won it in back-to-back years so but you got to get there first and when you get there i mean you, you talk about having that ace starter ready to go uh, you know i covered the 1997 playoffs where the mariners had you know peak randy johnson going against the orioles and he lost both his starts to mike musina so there's no guarantee even that ace is going to win yeah. you know look at look at uh, kershaw over the years he yeah has struggled in the postseason huh well i think we can wrap it up we just kind of meandered here i you know i, I don't yeah. i mean we didn't really have it just kind of what what you guys are hearing from us on this podcast is kind of like what me and Larry kind of just do in the, uh, in the press box. Although I keep my headphones on a lot more, but like when we have media dining and stuff, we always just kind of have these rando conversations about weird stuff like this. So I don't know. It's um, yeah. We're just thinking out loud here. I think yeah. people, I hope, I hope people like to hear our meanderings. Yeah, I do too. So, um, all right, well, we'll wrap it up now. Uh, what are you working on, Larry? We're working on this column on setting up for the postseason. I mean, again, like this is, I and mean, we haven't been doing this podcast very long, but I just, like, <laughs> I, um, I don't, I, I am kind of dumbfounded by all of this. I mean, the twenty-two and three stretch was just perplexing yeah. to me. So now I just think they're gonna make it. I mean, I've yeah. written it in the paper, you know, that they're they're a postseason team. So I don't feel like i'm jinxing it but who knows when when your chances are rated by the numbers crunchers as 88 percent you know if if uh if i told you there was an 88 chance percent chance of rain you'd grab an umbrella so uh yeah. it's it, it's it'd be an upset if they don't get to the postseason now so it's it's i think it's valid to start thinking about what that means and and what the possibilities are in the lineups and the pitching and and all that you know we're we're it's okay for us to get ahead of ourselves we're not playing you know the players probably shouldn't get ahead of themselves and think about that stuff but i think it's perfectly fine for us to do it i have to say you know the um this last series and i, and I think the, the series against the yankees th- that's the one thing is like i really would like fans in seattle to have a postseason series just because of what I saw this weekend. It was crazy there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. You know, the day game, you know, the 13 inning game and and people have asked me, um, it's, it's one of the most memorable games I've covered and I've covered some 14 inning games and I covered a game where the Mariners were down 10 runs and came back and won. I covered Felix Hernandez's last game. I covered Kyle Seeger's last game and that uh, that Friday night when Mitch Hanner got the hit, you know, I've covered some crazy games. I covered Paxton's no hitter. I missed Felix's perfect game, which was 10 years ago. Um, this, the other day, I just, that's the 13 inning game was, is it was as cool as I've ever seen just because of like how intense it was. 
But the um, just the overall weekend there, you know, there were more. There was as many Mariners fans, if not more, than Yankees fans, and they it was, it was intense. And I think I would really like to see the Mariners fans get that opportunity, even though sometimes I hate them all or not hate them all. I hate a good 80% (laughs) of them or the ones that annoy me. Um, No, I I, I'd like to see them get that opportunity because that's what the postseason means is to be able to be there and have it in your city. You know, and I've never covered the postseason in, in, in baseball, but I'd imagine that like, you know, given the way that, you know, TBS and stuff handles it. It could be like a 4 p.m. start on a Thursday afternoon. Like, say they get the, you know, because I guess it will be Friday. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the wild card. They get that series, you know. It could be a, a 3 p.m. start on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, people would be arriving at like 8 in the morning, don't you think? Just out there. I mean, just, to, you know how, yeah. it just kind of the buzz. It'd be like a, a football game or something like that. You know, I just, I'd like to see yeah, that in Seattle. Nothing- yeah, there was a lot of years where I covered the entire postseason back when newspapers were, you know, had a little more disposable income. You know, even if I covered the LCS and the and the World Series for about fifteen years, even without a Seattle team in it. And what I always liked the most was going into a city that was just absolutely alive and and uh, obsessed with baseball. And the one I remember the most was the '91. Braves, um, who had been who went last first. They'd been a doormat franchise, and then they just came out of nowhere and won the pennant that year. And that was the great uh, series against uh, the Twins. But Atlanta was just absolutely bonkers that year with excitement. And I think that could happen here. It's been so. I think the fact that it's been twenty years is going to amp up the intensity because it's going to mean so much because it's been so long. And I think that game on Tuesday was kind of a turning point game for, for the fans. It was just so, I, I just got the feeling that everybody in C- the Seattle area, area was watching that game. You know, I was at Dino's, it was trivia night. You, you, you're, you, I was with our trivia team, which you couldn't be there because you were at the game. Uh, and we just stayed and watched the game and the bar, everyone in the bar was into it, cheering every pitch uh, and just looking at social media and the reaction to that game. It was such a compelling game. And the fact that they pulled it out, I think it was sort of like everybody kind of bought in simultaneously that night. And uh, and I think they're going to ride that the, the rest of the year. I think that's going to be a game that will be remembered, like you said, for for a long, for a long, long time. Yeah, I just it's it's been an interesting resurgence. You know, there is just a lot more activity at the park. You're gonna see the the crowds bump up. You know, I, you know, I was my, you know, Cindy, my girlfriend was at the game with her kids, and she just talked about it. She's like, it's different this year. Like, there's just an intensity yeah. to it all. You know, and yeah. she talked about the even like the fireworks nights and stuff like that, and like how intense people got when they struck out Shohei Otani, you know, it was just like, it was, people were going, you know, it's, that's good though. That's what it's supposed to be like, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. you know, yeah. and fans deserve it. You know, they do deserve it. I mean, it's like they, they waited a long time. Yeah. So, well, the Santana Homer uh, yesterday. Yeah. I mean, that was that's as loud as I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, and they've been, they have, they have, the, you go back to the Houston series coming off the all-star break, you know, virtual sellout, uh for four games the 
the the Angels series huge crowds, the Yankees series huge crowds. I think it's going to be that that way the rest of the year. And how about us? <laughs> we should probably give a salute to uh, Luis Torrens. Oh, yeah. the biggest hit of the year on tuesday and then his cut loose on thursday so and i mean he know he knew he was getting the yeah. i mean he knew it was coming uh, i think the mirrors are secretly hoping he clears but you know clears waivers i don't think he will i think he will i, I was looking into that here's my theory he was a he's making over a million dollars he was a super two guy yeah so to pick him up the team picks them up. They're going to have to inherit the rest of the contract this year, which is like over 300000 And then if you keep them for next year, you are going to pay them over a million dollars again, probably. Do you, do, do, is there a team that wants to pay Luis Terenz over a million dollars next year? I mean, you could pick them up just for the stretch drive and then cut them loose after the season. Yeah, and non-tender him. Yeah, but what has he done to make you want to do that? He's not hitting. But he's, he's a catcher with that hit a little bit last year. That's kind of you know you know how it is. Yeah. There's never enough catching. So yeah, but I mean you've <laughs> you've led the chorus of uh, 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 criticism of his defense catching oh, defense. It's horrible. <laughs> so I, I'm going to predict he's he's going to end up in Tacoma. How about that's my hot take for the day. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Hey, what are they going to do? They got nine games against. They gonna start a fight in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't start one in Seattle, so they shouldn't start a fight. They don't need that right now. Uh, let's let's go. Let's go the eleven games, including the Nationals, before of the of this. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say I'll be conservative. Seven and four. Don't steal mine. Damn it. Uh, yeah, I'll go. Can't agree. I'll go eight and three. Yeah, I mean they they sh- they should aim for eight and three or nine and two, yeah. but you know you got to be realistic. Seven to four would be acceptable. Anything below that would be disappointing. Anything above that would be uh, gravy on the cake, as a football coach once said to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Right, see ya. Fort Worth, my favorite town. Oh yeah. Okay, here's the audio that I mentioned earlier. We'll start with Jerry Depoto's Zoom press conference with us post-trade deadline, where he talks about a variety of things moving forward. Just, you know, some background for you. I know it's a few days old or actually about a week old, but just, you know, some background on what he was thinking in the trades and everything else or the lack thereof. And then we'll go to Scott Service, Paul Seawald, and Sam Haggerty post-Yankee series on Wednesday. Yeah, I don't have a, a whole lot to add to that other than, you know, obviously it was a really just a, a long month <laughs> for us in, in baseball ops with the the draft and the trade deadline. And, you know, our group back in Seattle, Justin Hollander, our baseball ops team did a phenomenal job in, in managing a lot of heavy lifting over the course of these last few days, especially. And, you know, really excited for what our, you know, probably under the radar moves that have a chance to really improve the depth of our roster as we head into these next couple of weeks and, and see what we can do with the, the final two months of this season. So I'll uh, answer any questions you might have.
Jerry, how would you kind of assess this deadline compared to years past, uh, just the dynamics of it and everything? Anyway, I wasn't able to make that out. Yeah, sorry about that, Jerry. Just like, how would you kind of assess this year's deadline compared to years past and just the dynamics of play and maybe some of the challenges you guys face? Yeah, I mean, the, the deadline in total was no different than any other deadline, really. It was uh, like is typically the case. You saw some some sizable moves uh, before the final day. And, you know, today, I guess the the big difference being that the, I think we were all taken aback by the uh, the big trade with Juan Soto, but, you know, pretty active all in all. And, and as is usually the case, a lot of bullpen guys changing hands at the very end. And, and uh, today was, today was a fun day to, to watch what was happening around the league. And, and uh, you know, we had our fingers in a lot of different, pies throughout the, the the day and you know ultimately came away with uh, what we did but didn't see any notable difference other than perhaps the you know the first couple of weeks of the the, the month were slower than normal as uh, I think as a result of of the the draft meetings etc Jerry how much did the fact that you have guys coming off the IL uh, affect how hard you went after a bat and uh, how much did that play into it uh, it played into it played into it in a big way for us. You know, it, the biggest thing that sometimes gets lost, you know, or glossed over when when you think about all the magical things that that you can do during a trade deadline is you only get twenty six roster spots, and, and these players have to fit and coexist on a roster. And knowing that, you know, we we anticipate having Ty France back in in action, you know, tomorrow or Friday, the latest. We anticipate Julio rejoining the team when his 10 days are up, all things, you know, trending in that direction. We do expect that Mitch is going to be back very soon. And uh, we obviously just got Kyle back more recently. And and Demo is also uh, trending to where he should be active at the at the 10th day, you know, when he's able to come off. And with both Luis Castillo, uh, with both uh, Diego Castillo and, and uh, Ken Giles, we feel like they are tracking, you know, maybe a week out from from where we where we are today. So, it's we do look forward to getting a pretty big, uh, I guess, influx of talent back from the IL. In addition to the the three players we added today, plus Luis Castillo. So, all in all, a pretty you know a pretty productive time for us. Sons the obvious, which is playing a pretty rough road trip right now with uh, with a with a beat up and somewhat undermanned roster. Can you uh, walk us through how those three pieces fit for your roster and how you want to use them? Yeah, you know, first with with Jake Lamb, Jake he brings left hand bat. It's experience. He's played a bench role in years past. That's where we see him fitting uh, fitting in on our club. He can play the corners, you know, DH. He has performed very well against right-hand pitching this year. So it gives us a nice offset with the right-hand bats. You know, as Mitch comes back with Kyle Lewis as an offset for, for Dylan Moore and his right-handedness, you know, it, he, we feel like he fits in that type of matchup role. Kirkus Alley fits that veteran backup catcher who can – he, he works very well with pitchers. He's got some know-how. He's played in the postseason. It's a, you know, he fits what we do and how we do it. And we feel like 
you know, adding Kurt also gives us someone who's very familiar with Luis Castillo and uh, not sure right now when he's trending to return to the roster. He's currently on a, a rehab assignment in AAA. He won't play tonight, but he will pick up and start playing again tomorrow with the Rainiers in Sacramento. So we'll take it day by day and see what the, the timetable is for his return to the major league roster. And, and, you know, as it pertains to Matthew Boyd, little clearer, he throws a, a simulated game tomorrow in Sacramento uh, with, with the Rainiers. We'll assess where we are at that point. And our expectation is that, that early next week, he'll start a, a rehab assignment of his own. And sometime in the next two to three weeks, we'll have him back on the major league roster as well. Very likely in the role of a multi-inning reliever. And, you know, that's something that, that was, uh, we were looking to, to acquire. So fits well. Jared, beyond Sally having the knowledge with Castillo, how important was it to kind of, you know, spell Cal Raleigh a little bit uh, as he kind of finishes out his first cold big league season? Pretty important, you know, and we think Kurt's makeup, you know, the, the way he goes about it, he's, he, uh, he really takes great care in his game prep and working with pitchers, which is another, I, I think it's a big plus for us. You know, very much similar to, you know, what we lost with Tom Murphy not being with the team uh, regularly. And, and you know, Kurt does bring that. That's something that I know, you know has been a huge factor in Cal Raleigh's growth is how much he has embraced that. So, you know, having someone who's been down that path and, and understands the value of that kind of prep is, is pretty big for us. And, you know, it, the, you know, Cal's playing regularly. And, and when I say regularly, he plays every day in some way, shape or form, whether it's, you know, the full game or, or subbing in late. And you know, we do want to take some of the load off of him. Obviously it's a, it's not been a great go for LT, but you know, with with Kurt on board, whether we carry two or three catchers, wh whatever we do with the, the back end of our roster really does give, you know, Scott and the staff the ability to give Cal a blow. And, you know, Cal's a switch hitter, so it's tough to figure out when the easiest time to do that might be. But Kirk Casale has a pretty good history versus left-hand pitching and, and and is having another solid year from a, from a hitability standpoint versus the lefties. Hey, Jerry, does any of the calculus with Boyd, um, this is getting way ahead of things here too, but uh, maybe that he's someone you could retain beyond this year and be in the mix for next year? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a, it's something we have been down this path a number of times with, with Matt Boyd, be it inquiring with teams that he's played for in the past about the potential of acquiring him in a trade. You know, it was touching down with them this offseason or, or last uh, just in the, the effort to bring him to Seattle. We've always liked Matt. And, you know, he's got that, that he's got that high riding fastball. It fits the way we like to go about putting together a pitching plan. Uh, obviously a native of the Seattle area. There, there's, we made it a priority today to, to acquire all the lifelong fans of the Mariners to, to try to be with us as we uh, attempt to break the, the 20 year playoff drought. So, uh, I know both Jake and and Matt were overjoyed with the the opportunity to be here for these next two months and and see what it leads to. But sure, twenty twenty three and beyond always part of the equation. And but we know what we're getting with uh, with Matt Boyd in terms of who the person is. It's uh, that that much was a slam dunk.
Jerry, can you give us any insight into how deeply you got into the Soto talks and what you think of the package that was ultimately made for that trade? Yeah, we didn't get too far down the road. Uh, the The way it went with us is, you know, like we are prone to do, we check in with everybody on everything and make sure that there's, you know, we, we've turned over all those stones. And we did that with the with the Nats on, on Soto. And pretty early on, we understood that the asking price was just going to be uh, – too much for us to, to bear. So we moved on and focused on other things. And, you know, obviously the, the most notable was we focused on Luis Castillo and, and, and made a, it a priority to, to bring him to Seattle. But you know, as far as the, the Soto deal goes, I don't know about you guys, that's the biggest trade I've ever seen. <laughs> that's a, I mean, it's phenomenal on both ends of it. And, you know, I had a feeling the, in other conversations this morning that that's, something that might be trending. And, and uh, you know, I was fascinated when I saw the, the quality of players, the fact that another all-star player and Josh Bell is, is also headed to San Diego. It's just, that's a, that's a big move. That's a, that's a, we're going to win the world series type move for the Padres. And, and it's a one-stop shop <laughs> rebuild an organization for, for the Nats. So kudos to both ends. I think they both got what they were looking for. Hey, Jerry, Jerry you, honest, you said Boyd was going to be a reliever. Are you planning to put him in the bullpen? Yeah, we, we don't know that there's really going to be enough time between now and, and the end of the season to build Matt up to to be a consistent, you know, every fifth day starter. So we're going to send him out on his rehab. We'd like to build him up to, you know, to that in an ideal world to that 60, 70 pitch limit uh, or, or threshold. And we'll take it from there. But our, our expectation would be something in the neighborhood of a, you know, two, three inning relief stints. And, and if that's what he can do for our team over the season, the final six weeks of the season and potentially into the postseason, that'd be a terrific ad for us. Jerry, without asking you to completely tip your hand, but on, on kind of building off of Larry asked about Soto, were there potentially other big-time impact trades out there that you guys were in on potentially, but the asking price just was a little bit too high? I, I think we showed we weren't particularly shying away from high asking prices. You know, <laughs> it's uh, we we went out and we identified the the players that we we thought could really push us to a new level. And we prioritized players who were, who were going to be here beyond just 2022 uh, in, in whatever way we could. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, it's whether it was Luis Castillo, others on the market that were under club control beyond just this season, that's where we focused our efforts. And, and for the most part, our priorities, as I said, going in were, in order, adding impact to our starting rotation, you know, finding depth for our roster, particularly, you know, addressing backup catcher. And then we tried to be opportunistic. And, and I think the, you know, for us, we addressed the three things we wanted to address. And I would say Castillo being the, the, uh, the, the, the impact in our rotation, uh, Casale addressing backup catcher, and then, you know, Lamb and and Boyd becoming the opportunity that, that you know, and I do think that in very sneaky ways, the 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 positive platoon uh, factors that come with with Jake Lamb and Kirk Casale do make us a deeper, uh, 
one through 26 team and the sneaky upside that that comes with Matt Boyd in that type of role where we can just let him, you know, when Matt goes out and lets it hunt, it's his fastball is a special pitch. And and that's something that we hope we see a lot of, you know, and in, in, as we get into late August and September. So your, your bullpen was pretty beat up. You're carrying six starters right now. I know you have the double header on Saturday. How are you going to work beyond that? See, we've got, you know, we've got the double header, which will allow us to carry an extra man, you know, and in, in, in that almost certainly that will be a, an additional reliever for us, you know, with, with the bullpen being as beat up as it is right now and pitching the types of innings that it's pitched uh, over the course of the last, let's call it really since the break ended, um, we having an off day on Thursday could probably not come at a better time unless that day were today, <laughs> you know, we need to give these guys a blow and, you know, they've been running hard since the, since the break, but we figure with an off day on Thursday, being able to add the extra man on Saturday and looking at the potential of having Diego and Giles back the following week really does give us, you know, we, we have in-house answers that we feel like are right there. So, you know, with the with with the way this set up, and also understanding that I think almost every week or or every week for the remainder of the season we have an off day, so we are not going to we're not going to have to run the the crazy schedule that we have run this year with big trips to the East, twenty twenty one straight games before you get an off day. You know, we do have some off days baked in there, and we'll figure out between now and when the end. You know, when we get to the end of this stretch where we need six starters, we'll figure out how to manage the 13-man pitching staff because that may or may not include six starters. So you're still kind of going through scenarios on that then and how you want to do it? Sorry, Ryan? You're still kind of weighing different scenarios on how you want to work the six starters beyond yeah, we've got a couple of different scenarios. You know, obviously we have some favorites that are lined up and, you know, in order to, to put those in motion, first we need to, to make sure we get to the end of this run of schedule with, with all of our starters healthy before we can really determine which way to go. But knowing that we have the doubleheader on Saturday, there's, we, we were going to go through after acquiring Luis on Saturday, the, the previous Saturday, we knew we were going to go through a stretch of at least 10 days before we needed to make a decision finally on how to manage it. Because, you know, with, with the double header in there and the off day, you, you were going to need six starting pitchers at least, you know, one and a half times through the rotation. So this, uh, there's, we've got a pretty good idea about the way it's going to go, but we're going to wait and see, you know, how everything finishes up this weekend uh, at home before we make a final determination. Anything else from Jerry? Jerry, were you surprised at all about some of the prospect returns for some of these moves? I mean, where, you know, a year ago the asks were pretty crazy. Uh, what did what did you what was your interpretation of what people had to give up to get some? I mean, this was a real seller's market, you know, and we knew that going in, the especially at the high end. But even I, I, I will say something as simple as, you know, as, as relievers that are under club control, that we're fetching, you know, higher end prospects, which is very much outside the norm. Uh, 
And I think a it's indicative of how many teams, you know, were really trying to make a deep run. You know, I, I think you saw that with teams that I think are almost certain postseason participants went out and, and acquired, you know, flexible bullpen pieces that you know, it, it's that's like a gold standard at the deadline when when you're especially with the new 13 man pitcher limit on a major league roster having optionable relief pitchers is it's huge and to have optionable relievers who are also good you know is even bigger and you know with you know Matt Festa and Eric Swanson and Matt Brash and you know we feel like we have that and you know frankly we got drilled with interest in those players despite the fact that that we were you know also in the the buyer's aisle so you know it's a that was a, a very uh a, a commodity a hot commodity at this deadline and and then the you know the the impact players guys like castillo and montas and and juan soto and josh bell and you know some that that, that switched hands the returns on those players were notable i, I mean really you know, favorable returns for the selling club. And, and, uh, you know, that's it. That's what this market was about was it was, there was more quantity than quality. And if you wanted to, to buy at the high end, you were going to pay. And, you know, I think we were, it was, we felt like we were at the time in our evolution that it was time to do that. And, uh, and, and we did. And, and I know there were other teams that did something similar. So, um, really happy with the way it worked out for us. And, and uh, I, I think, as I said at the start, we have a, a more complete, potentially more impactful uh, roster. We have a legitimate top of the rotation starting pitcher. We have, we got the veteran backup catcher we were hoping to, to achieve. And, and frankly, he was our target from the very beginning. So we, we got the guy we wanted and, and we were in a position to, to take advantage of opportunity. And, and we even missed out on a couple of things in the last half an hour that would have been really interesting <laughs> should they have come to pass. But that's usually the way trade deadlines end is, you know, the real fun thing that would have put it over the top doesn't, doesn't get across the goal line in time, but fun day. You guys have fun? Yeah. I know you're supposed to be impartial, your media, but uh... Anybody that's been following the Mariners for a while certainly should have had fun, um, you know, this this week. Um, great series. Um, can't say enough about the effort from our players, everybody on our roster contributing. Um, but the story the last couple nights has been pitching, and, and I thought Robbie Ray was awesome today. Um, went right after him. Um, but really good stuff, mixing the two-seamer. Uh, I was trying to ride it ride the train as long as I could. Uh, I just, you know, felt good about him out there, even though the pitch count got up there a little bit. and. Didn't make a bad pitch. You got to give their guy credit. It's a big home run, and and uh, but uh, the way we respond uh, after that, from uh, the guys picking each other up, you know, we get two quick hits. Uh, we get um, you know Cortez out of there. Nestor was really good. He's had a great year. Um, he, he's a tough lefty. He does things a little bit differently. So getting him out of there, and then um, lo and behold, here comes Carlos and hits another big homer. I don't know. It seems like uh, there's been four or five of those since he, we've acquired him. That they're all big. You know, it's two or three run homers late in games. He gets a pitch. He doesn't miss it. And, uh, again, it's it's not uh, – Carlos doesn't have the highest batting average, but he gets on base. He's got power. He's got a ton of experience. He's been in those spots. And, you know, uh, credit to him for, for handling it the way he did. But uh, good ball game, great series. Uh, I think I heard earlier we hadn't 
won a um, season series against the Yankees since 2002. So times are changing, and um, it's a great, great way to end the homestand, get a day off, and uh, we'll get after him on the road trip here, so I'll take any questions. How much do you trust Carlos? I mean, I know last night he hit the double play, and it was kind of a test situation, but how much do you trust him because of that experience to use him in these situations? Yeah, I, I trust Carlos in a number of different areas, um, certainly on the field, um, the pedigree and the experience level. I also trust him a lot in our clubhouse. And I think that's, uh, you know, the, the average fan doesn't see what kind of goes on behind the scenes here, but his ability to communicate, connect uh, with a number of different players in our clubhouse is huge. Uh, and I trust him on all facets and uh, delivering messages um, and what it's going to take to stay healthy, take care of your body, continue to win, continue to show up and have energy every day. He's a great uh, messenger uh, in those regards. You know, after Judge hits the homer, you guys go down 3-1. You, you didn't back off. You kept fighting. What was kind of the messaging in the dugout? Uh, what was the composure level? I just got to have good at-bats. You know, our guys are getting a chance, uh, you know, especially the tie and Hanny getting a chance to, to see uh, Nestor, you know, third time through. Um, it's always valuable. Um, and they were on him. Got some big hits there. You know, to, uh, to kind of get the run across, get a little bit closer, get into their bullpen. And, and they've got a great bullpen. Young kid's got a great arm. He made a mistake, and, and Carlos jumped on it. So, no panic. I said we play those games a lot. You know, they're close. You got to get guys on base. You got to make something happen. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned a little Haggerty home run either. Uh, we were getting no hit until that homer. Uh, this guy has had some kind of uh, uh, impact on our team. Credit to him. Uh, it's been fun to watch. He is locked in. He's made some adjustments. He and he's riding the wave right now, and we're going to ride with him as long as we can. Got 27 one-run wins now um, this year. 32 last year. I think a lot of people last year were going, yeah, that's that's luck. You know, they're it's unsustainable, right? right? Yeah, that's the line. That's the line. At, at what point do you? I mean, it's pretty hard to say that anymore. What, what do you think contributed to this? And what does it say about you guys? To win close games, you need really good bullpen pitching. You got to play defense. What happens is you don't beat yourself. You stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game, and then something big happens. Uh, and, and it's not always the home run, it's how he got there. You know, somebody gets on base, it's a hit by pitch, it's a walk, and all of a sudden a rally gets going, and then somebody hits, gets the big hit. So uh, it all does start with bullpen, and those guys keeping it close, keeping it right there in the game, and giving you a chance to come back in those games. And then when you have the one-run lead, being able to lock it down. Um, and so i, I got to give a ton of credit to our, our, our pitching and our defense in, in that regard. Scott, Danny Castillo, you know, you obviously get the wins, but he goes out there and his performance is it's pretty special you know that's what playoff teams have they have frontline starting pitching that you can lean on and guys they will take you deep into ball games uh, they're not going to have it every time out there but these are elite pitchers um and and they're you know they command multiple pitches they got great stuff they have good mound presence i think we see that and it's different Luis's is different than, than Robbie's mound presence, but our guys love playing behind him. You feel like you're in the game. You're going to win that day when it's their day to pitch, and, and it says a lot. And not only that, I think we've got some young pitchers on our staff that are learning a lot from these guys. You know, as we go along in the season, they're going to continue to even get better themselves. So it's a, it's a nice group. Scott, you had the 20 games coming out of the break, a lot in a row, and then you had 13 were against the Yankees and the Astros. What did you see, what, 10 and 10, what did you see? And you have a little different team now going after this. We do have a different team going forward. We've got some guys getting healthy. Um, and Julio felt really good today after his 
uh, session in the cage, so he should be available when we get to Texas, and then we'll, I guess be close as full strength as we've been all year. Um, you know, the stretch that we were in coming out of the break, we knew it was going to be challenging. Uh, we knew we were a little bit short-handed, and you need everybody just to do their job. They don't have to be doing anything special. Like I didn't ask Sam Haggerty to all of a sudden be. You know, uh, just Mickey Mantle. You know, <laughs> it just it worked out that way because he wasn't trying to do too much. And once in a while, you get you know uh, nice surprises, guys that'll step up and and do a little bit more than what you're looking for. But um, our group really pulls together. They do. They like each other. They hang with each other. They give each other a hard time. Um, I said it before the season started. This team, to me, more than any other team I managed, felt like a like a college team. You know, um, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of energy. That's the way it should be. With young players and, and young players, they they you know boost up the energy for some of our older guys. So it's a, it's an outstanding group. You went ten and ten, also missing Julio for I think eight of those games and tied for four. I think to do that, what does it say about these guys? with the stepping up aspect. Yeah, yeah, you know we we have lost some key players throughout this stretch. Um, guys have gotten big hits, whether it was Carlos Santana. It's guys, you know, filling in you know, for Julio and then Hagerty got a lot of those at bats. Yeah, and that's that's what it takes. Um, if you're gonna have a special season, you need everybody to contribute. Guys, you're calling up. Guys, you're not really expecting it from. I mean, who came into the season and thought Sam Haggerty was gonna play the role he did in August? I mean, it's unbelievable uh, what he's done. And again, good for us. We were due, right, for some of that stuff, and it's paying off because uh, this team they prepare very well. They're ready to go to work every day, and it's they're fun to be around. Uh, I certainly hope so, you know, but you still got to show up and play. Every game means the same thing. And I know everybody in my, their mind, oh, you beat the Yankees. They've got a very talented team. They have high payroll. they got experienced players. They probably have the league MVP over there in right field. I mean, they're really good. Uh, but when you you know you look at it, you know, you don't have to beat Aaron Judge. you just got to beat the Yankees. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you work through their lineup. Um, and it's really driven by pitching. We've got to be real. you got to be able to shut down that lineup to have any chance to beat them. And our pitching staff did an awesome job in this series. The starters the last two nights. I mean, you obviously talked about how great the pitching was last night, but the starters today, I mean, that's, that's two pretty special games. Back back to see that. Yeah, coming into series, I think of the I think I saw a number somewhere, you know, the top 20 pitchers in the American League, six of them were starting in this three-game series. You know, we knew it was going to be a tight game, tight games and, and well-pitched games going into it. So um, it didn't really surprise me that much. Um, uh, just, you know, we're getting to know Luis Castillo. Uh, I think we know what Robbie Ray's about. Um, really like what I see there, and the group around those guys are just as good, you know, and, and they know their role and, and what they're capable of doing. They're going to continue to get better, in my opinion. So there's 40,000 people for a day game, and how loud was it when Santana hit that home? <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. You know, I'm walking off the field after shaking guys' hands. I want to, like, hug every one of the fans that are there. Uh, last night's game was special. It's one that I will never forget, I don't think. And to follow it up today with a very tired group. Um, but our fans, which they showed up, ton of energy. Um, and it, it's special. It's special. Um, and we got more special baseball ahead of us. So come out and join us because it's a fun place to be right now. Well, how much of the last two games, how much fun have they been to play, to be a part of the last two? It's good. It's, you know, the fans have made it feel like a playoff atmosphere. You know, a lot of us haven't really been to that stage, but last night really felt like one of those games that I've watched on TV where you just got two of the best pitchers in baseball and there's nothing the hitters can do. And then everyone's bullpen was rested, so you start off, you know, nasty bullpen arms. And, you know, we came out on top of that one, and then, you know, we just do our thing. As soon as they score, we come back fighting. And, and uh, they put up three, and we put up three right away. Next thing you know, it's 4-3 lead, and, 
Diego, Diego knocked him out in the eighth, and you know we got through there. What do you think it does for you guys to not only play in those tight games but come out on the winning end of them too? Yeah, I think we just play so many of them that we're more comfortable in them than other teams. Those guys blow people out all the time. So uh, playoffs are going to be tight, and you know we're really good at one-round games, and that's just we're just comfortable playing in them. And I think that's part of you know what makes us really good when we play these tough teams is. We play more of these one-run games than they do. They're, they're used to beating people eight to three and hitting four homers, and you know that's not the way we play. At what so, point do you become comfortable in those kind of games? Uh, maybe in the seventy we had last year probably <laughs> helps, uh, and the forty-five we had this year, you know, that definitely helps. I mean, every single game feels like a one-run game, whether we're winning or losing, and you know, that's just the way we do it. You guys don't make dumb mistakes as a team at all. You, you guys execute. You know, you know, when you're playing those games, that's the focus is, and you have to execute. Yeah, I mean, we don't. We don't have Aaron Judge on our team. Um, we don't have, you know, the thirty-five. <laughs> we don't have the thirty-five million dollar pitcher, um, but we have twenty-six guys that are all really good and all have a key part of this team. That when they do their job, we end up winning more games than we're losing, and that's the key. Um, so we just really have to take advantage of everything, and we take advantage of, you know, pitch counts coming up, getting in bullpens. They threw a bunch of bullpen arms yesterday, so they were a little bit short today, and and we capitalized that off from one of their guys that isn't one of their guys, and you know that's what we do to get teams all the time. It, it's a 162 game marathon, and um, you know that's how that's how we beat people, and we did it we did it against these guys. But look, you just played 20 games coming out of the break. I think you had one off day, 13 against the Astros and Yankees, and you go 10 and 10. But you also just add Luis, and you go. You don't have Julio for half of it. And yep. You get Mitch back. I mean, we haven't kind of seen where you guys can be yet, have we? No, I. You know, we talked about this. Now I, I say full strength, but we didn't have Castillo. But we played one game at home with full strength, and we whooped the Astros eleven to one. I mean, think about that. Like, we just haven't had our entire team, and that's part of that's part of the season. Like, you're not going to have the healthiest 26-man roster for, for 162. Like, that's not crazy. And, you know, those guys didn't have Stanton, and Rizzo was out for a couple games. Like, it happens, but we weathered the storm early in the season. Then we went on a roll, and now, you know, we went to Houston and we went to New York and practically beat them with our backups, you know, and then we come home and win two out of three. It's, it just goes to show you that, like I said, this is a 26-man roster. Every, every single guy on this team contributes in a series, every single guy. I've never. I mean, it's crazy that it's it's not Aaron Judge and the rest of the guy. It's every single guy has a has a part. It even feels different last year because for a while there was doubt, even at this time last year. And but, but right now it's every day. Like you got to show up every day, and like you know, kind of, this is where we're at. This is what we're here. Yeah, I think it. I think part of it is you know. So we, not that we really care about expectations, but we weren't expected to be very good last year. So we kind of were playing with house money and, and you know, we kind of started off so poorly that it was like, well, we can't make up the first couple of months, can we? Even without, without you know, a bunch of stars around. And, you know, then we kind of, we just won so many games late that we, now we came into this year thinking like, well, we're there, we're going to do that again. If, as soon as we weathered the storm in May, it was like, all right, now's our time. And, and I just, there was no panic for anyone. Last year, last year was no panic because we weren't supposed to win any games. This year, there was no panic because we know we're one of the best teams in baseball and we just have to get healthy and we had to get rolling and we got rolling before we got healthy. Now we're healthy and it would be nice to be a healthy roll for the last couple. <laughs> what does it take time for guys? You mentioned the, the 26 guy thing. Like, you guys don't have the $35 million. Does it take time for guys to sort of settle into that and be like, I don't have to do too much. I just need to go and do what I'm asked to do. Yeah, and I, just, not I think we're just a very inclusive group that like everyone, every, there's good communication. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do to help the team from the top down to your position coach to you know other guys in, in the clubhouse everyone is boosting everybody everyone knows like hey this is my role and 
you know, I don't need to, I don't need to get out of my comfort zone and, and need to do this. It's just it's like, hey, I'm going to do what I do really, really well. And if I do that, that's enough that I'll help the team and we'll end up winning more games than we lose. Mm -hmm. What's your thought off the bat? I mean, do you think that that one's going to get out or possibly a foul even? Um, I hit that one pretty good. I thought, it, I thought I kept it fair, and fortunately I kept it just enough. Just, what, what was you guys' approach going into that? Because the pitching was just so solid in this series, and you guys were going back and forth, and you know, being no hit in there. Just How do you guys keep your composure in that moment? Uh, you, you just keep, you keep going with your plan. You make adjustments based on what they're doing to you, um, but there's a lot of good pitchers out there, and you take what you can get. Um, I think it's kind of an accepting that sometimes they throw some really good pitches. Those guys are good, and you just got to keep battling and, and looking for your pitch. What was, what was the challenge of facing Nestor? What was what was what made him so tough today? He he moves the ball all around the zone. He's got a really good fastball. Um, he controls all three pitches. You know he's been doing great all year, so it's just a matter of. You know, one mistake here or there, and, and making sure that you put a barrel on it. How challenging is it with all the multiple release points too? It just seems like his arms just all over the place. Yeah, I mean, he's got different methods to, to mess with timing as well as you know different pitches. You know, he's he's done great all year, and you know he pitched great today. And you just you're just looking for a ball in the middle of the plate, in, in which that he makes a mistake. You guys get down 3-1, and the very bottom half of the inning, Ty leads off with a single. Like It was like almost, all right, whatever, we'll just kind of do this right away. Like Even just getting that single kind of starts. It, I agree with you. I think that was a huge single by Ty just to kind of to grab the momentum back on our side um, after they put up three. And it, it kind of just got that inning rolling, and next thing you know, Mitch gets a hit, and next thing you know, we're in the game. You guys put 20 games out of the break. 13 against the Astros and the Yankees. You didn't have to win eight of them. Mitch didn't play in any of them. I mean, like, or these last few. I mean, like, to go 10 and 10 and then have all these guys you had Castillo. Where are you guys at now compared to where you were? I mean, when you present it like that, I, I got to think we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, we're going to keep getting better as a team. Um, we're deep, which is is a good thing coming into September and going into October. And you know, it's the, the all year. It's been the next man up. Uh, do your job and play hard. Do you realize how popular you are with the fans right now? <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't hear it? you don't interact with them. Uh, I say hi to everybody. I just kind of like you know acknowledge, but. Other than that, just play the game, play hard. I mean, 2020, you played with no fans. 2021, you're dealing with injury. Now you're playing in front of 40,000 people back to back nights. What these last few games been like? Uh, they're incredible. Last night's game was one of a kind. I'll never forget it. 13 innings, no runs. That don't happen too often. But, you know, you're just kind of like a kid in a candy store out there playing baseball, having fun. Crowd's loud. And, you know, try to take every opportunity as just that. And, Come up with a hit, make a play, have fun. Thank you, guys. All right, that will do it for this week's Extra Innings podcast. Big thanks to Larry Stone, as always, for coming on and talking with me, taking some time out of his busy schedule of being a columnist. Um, thanks to the Mariners for providing all that audio on their website. It's always so useful. We can have that. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll try and maybe do another podcast in a week, depending on where what we see from the Mariners. You know, all that good stuff. I brought my podcast stuff with me on the road this time, so it'll be easier to record if something happens. So until then, we'll see you soon.
This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening. 